Hello, and welcome to the Jane Austen Bedtime Stories podcast. Each episode is a section from a classic, comforting Jane Austen novel with relaxing music to help you fall asleep. If you like the Jane Austen Bedtime Stories podcast, please follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating. If you have comments or suggestions for the Jane Austen Bedtime Stories podcast, please leave a review with your thoughts. There are a few ways to do this. On Spotify, leave a comment in the episode's Q&A under the question, What did you think about this episode? And on Apple Podcasts, write a review for the show. We do read every review and comment and want to make sure this podcast helps you get a good night's sleep. And finally, please follow Jane Austen Bedtime Pod on Instagram. We post about upcoming episodes, fun facts from the world of Jane Austen, and tips to help you get a good night's sleep. Again, it's Jane Austen Bedtime Pod on Instagram. Thank you for joining us this evening. Now it's time to relax. Let your body fall into a comfortable position in your bed and drift gently into a state of total relaxation with tonight's story. Emma Volume 1 Chapter 9 Part 3 Mr. Woodhouse came in and very soon led to the subject again by the recurrence of his very frequent inquiry of Well, my dears, how does your book go on? Have you got anything fresh? Yes, Papa. We have something to read you, something quite fresh. A piece of paper was found on the table this morning, dropped, we suppose, by a fairy, containing a very pretty charade, and we have just copied it in. She read it to him, just as he liked to have anything read, slowly and distinctly, and two or three times over, 
with explanations of every part as she proceeded, and he was very much pleased. And, as she had foreseen, especially struck with the complimentary conclusion. I, that's very just indeed. That's very properly said. Very true. Woman, lovely woman. It is such a pretty charade, my dear, that I can easily guess what fairy brought it. Nobody could have written so prettily but you, Emma. Emma only nodded and smiled. After a little thinking and a very tender sigh, he added, Ah, it is no difficulty to see who you take after. Your dear mother was so clever at all those things. If I had but her memory, but I can remember nothing, not even that particular riddle which you have heard me mention. I can only recollect the first stanza, and there are several. Kitty, a fair but frozen maid, kindled a flame I yet deplore. The hoodwinked boy I called to aid, though of his near approach afraid, so fatal to my suit before. And that is all that I can recollect of it, but it is very clever all the way through. But I think, my dear, you said you had got it. Yes, Papa. It is written out in our second page. We copied it from the elegant extracts. It was Garrick's, you know. I... Very true. I wish I could recollect more of it. Kitty, a fair but frozen maid. The name makes me think of poor Isabella, for she was very near being christened Catherine after her grandmama. I hope we shall have her here next week. Have you thought, my dear, where you shall put her? and what room there will be for the children. Oh, yes, 
she will have her own room. Of course, the room she always has. And there is the nursery for the children, just as usual, you know. Why should there be any change? I do not know, my dear, but it is so long since she was here, not since last Easter, and then only for a few days. Mr. John Knightley's being a lawyer is very inconvenient. Poor Isabella, she is sadly taken away from us all, and how sorry she will be when she comes not to see Miss Taylor here. She will not be surprised, Papa, at least. I do not know, my dear. I am sure I was very much surprised when I first heard she was going to be married. We must ask Mr. and Mrs. Weston to dine with us while Isabella is here. Yes, my dear, if there is time, but in a very depressed tone, she is coming for only one week. There will not be time for anything. It is unfortunate that they cannot stay longer, but it seems a case of necessity. Mr. John Knightley must be in town again on the 28th, and we ought to be thankful, Papa that we are to have the whole of the time they can give to the country. The two or three days are not to be taken out for the Abbey. Mr. Knightley promises to give up his claim this Christmas. Though, you know, it is longer since they were with him than with us. It would be very hard indeed, my dear, if poor Isabella were to be anywhere but at Hartfield. Mr. Woodhouse could never allow for Mr. Knightley's claims on his brother or anybody's claims on Isabella except his own. He sat musing a little while, and then said, But I do not see why poor Isabella should be obliged to go back so soon, though he does, 
I think. Emma, I shall try and persuade her to stay longer with us. She and the children might stay very well. Ah, Papa, that is what you have never been able to accomplish, and I do not think you ever will. Isabella cannot bear to stay behind her husband. This was too true for contradiction. Unwelcome as it was, Mr. Woodhouse could only give a submissive sigh, and as Emma saw his spirits affected by the idea of his daughter's attachment to her husband, she immediately led to such a branch of the subject as must raise them. Harriet must give us as much of her company as she can while my brother and sister are here. I am sure she will be pleased with the children. We are very proud of the children, are not we, Papa? I wonder which she will think the handsomest. Henry or John? I... I wonder which she will. Poor little dears. How glad they will be to come. They are very fond of being at Hartfield, Harriet. I dare say they are, sir. I am sure I do not know who is not. Henry is a fine boy, but John is very like his mamma. Henry is the eldest. He was named after me not after his father. John, the second, is named after his father. Some people are surprised, I believe, that the eldest was not, but Isabella would have him called Henry, which I thought very pretty of her, and he is a clever boy indeed. They are all remarkably clever, and they have so many pretty ways. They will come and stand by my chair and say, Grandpapa, can you give me a bit of string? And once... Henry asked me for a knife, but I told him knives were only made for grandpapas. I think their father is too rough with them 
very often. He appears rough to you, said Emma, because you are so very gentle yourself. But if you could compare him with other papas, you would not think him rough. He wishes his boys to be active and hardy, and if they misbehave, can give them a sharp word now and then. But he is an affectionate father. Certainly, Mr. John Knightley is an affectionate father. The children are all fond of him. And then their uncle comes in and tosses them up to the ceiling in a very frightful way. But they like it, Papa. There is nothing they like so much. It is such enjoyment to them that if their uncle did not lay down the rule of their taking turns, whichever began would never give way to the other. Well, I cannot understand it. That is the case with us all, Papa. One half of the world cannot understand the pleasures of the other. Later in the morning, and just as the girls were going to separate in preparation for the regular four o'clock dinner, the hero of this inimitable charade walked in again. Harriet turned away, but Emma could receive him with the usual smile, and her quick eye soon discerned in his the consciousness of having made a push, of having thrown a die, and she imagined he was come to see how it might turn up. His ostensible reason, however, was to ask whether Mr. Woodhouse's party could be made up in the evening without him, or whether he should be in the smallest degree necessary at Hartfield. If he were, everything else must give way. But otherwise, his friend Cole had been saying so much about his dining with him, had made such a point of it, that he had promised him conditionally to come. Emma thanked him but could not allow of his disappointing his friend on their account. Her father was sure of his rubber. He re-urged, 
she redeclined. And he seemed then about to make his bow, when taking the paper from the table, she returned it. Oh, here is the charade you were so obliging as to leave with us. Thank you for the sight of it. We admired it so much that I have ventured to write it into Miss Smith's collection. Your friend will not take it amiss, I hope. Of course, I have not transcribed beyond the first eight lines. Mr. Elton certainly did not very well know what to say. He looked rather doubtingly, rather confused, and said something about honor, glanced at Emma and at Harriet, and then, seeing the book open on the table, took it up and examined it very attentively. With the view of passing off an awkward moment, Emma smilingly said, You must make my apologies to your friend, but so good a charade must not be confined to one or two. He may be sure of every woman's approbation while he writes with such gallantry. I have no hesitation in saying, replied Mr. Elton, though hesitating a good deal while he spoke. I have no hesitation in saying, at least, if my friend feels at all as I do, I have not the smallest doubt that, could he see his little effusion honored as I see it, looking at the book again and replacing it on the table, he would consider it as the proudest moment of his life. After this speech, he was gone as soon as possible. Emma could not think it too soon, for with all his good and agreeable qualities, there was a sort of parade in his speeches, which was very apt to incline her to laugh. She ran away to indulge the inclination, leaving the tender and the sublime of pleasure to Harriet's share.
Thank you.